Oh, don't worry, I've been practicing my tick-checking yoga moves. Gotta stay limber and tick-free? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of No Small Boy Stuff. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Alex. In today's episode, we're diving into some of the hottest topics from the Ask Science subreddit, discussing everything from tick-borne illnesses to city pigeons and pre-modern human fossils. That's right, Mike. We're excited to bring you some intriguing discussions and maybe even learn a thing or two ourselves. Before we dive in, if you're enjoying our podcast, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share it with your friends. Absolutely. Your support means the world to us and helps us keep bringing you these fun and informative episodes. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah, let's jump right in and explore these fascinating topics. Stay tuned, folks. You won't want to miss this. So I stumbled upon this interesting Reddit post about why humans don't take preventative medicine for tick-borne illnesses like animals do. You know, like giving your dog or cat some monthly dose of oral or topical medicine to kill parasites before they can transmit diseases. Any thoughts on that, Mike? Huh, that's a good question. It seems like our only options are DEET and permethrin, which are, you know, one-use treatments. Maybe we just don't need it because we're not as prone to parasites as our beloved pets. Yeah, one commenter mentioned that we do have oral antiparasitic compounds like ivermectin, but our hygiene has improved to the point where it wouldn't make sense to take them as preventatives unless you're in a high-risk situation. Oh, that makes sense. Plus, it looks like there's a Lyme disease vaccine in Phase 3 of human trials and a pre-exposure prophylaxis drug about to start human trials. So we might see something before long. That's pretty cool. It's kind of like how we have a vaccine against tick-borne encephalitis, which is a really dangerous viral disease. So if you live in a high-risk area, it's a good idea to get that shot. Totally. And I think another point to consider is that being bitten by a tick doesn't automatically mean you'll get a disease. The tick needs to feed, engorge, and regurgitate to transmit the disease, which typically takes over 24 hours. Most people remove the tick before that happens. So you're saying that as long as we're diligent about checking ourselves after being outdoors and removing any potential ticks quickly, we should be all right? Exactly. It's like having our own natural tick defense system. Just don't forget to check those hard-to-reach places like behind your ears or, you know, your belly button. You never know where those sneaky ticks might be hiding. Oh, don't worry. I've been practicing my tick-checking yoga moves. Gotta stay limber and tick-free. That's the spirit. And hey, if all else fails, maybe we can just start wearing tick collars like our furry friends. Might be a new fashion trend waiting to happen. Hey, Alex, have you ever noticed that city pigeons often have mutilated feet? I found this Reddit post where someone asked why that happens more frequently with pigeons than with other birds. Oh man, those poor pigeons. I've noticed that too, but I never really thought about why it happens. What did the Reddit detectives have to say about it? Well, one wildlife veterinarian mentioned that pigeons spend a lot of time walking, and because they live in cities, they tend to gather string materials around their toes, most commonly human hair. The materials get all tangled and knotted, and the pigeons can't untangle it. So pigeon toe amputations are actually the most common surgery this vet does. Yikes, that sounds like a hairy situation. So it's basically our fault for shedding all over the place? Seems like it. Another comment mentioned that pigeons also lose toes to infections caused by standing in dirty or chemical-loaded puddles, or from chewing gum buildup around their nails. It's a rough life for a city pigeon, man. No kidding. And here I was, thinking pigeons just had a thing for the latest pedicure trends. But seriously... 
it's sad to know they have to deal with all these challenges just because of our urban lifestyle. Definitely. It's a good reminder for all of us to be more mindful of our impact on the environment and the creatures living in it. Maybe next time you're getting a haircut, try to make sure your locks don't end up as a pigeon's worst nightmare. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. And maybe we should also start a campaign to replace chewing gum with pigeon-friendly alternatives. Pigeon pedicures for everyone. I like the way you think, Alex. Let's save those pigeon toes. But seriously, let's all try to be more aware of our surroundings and do our part to help our feathered friends navigate the urban jungle. All right, Alex, here's a question that might stump you. Why are there so many pre-modern human fossils from the past several million years, but very few pre-modern chimp or gorilla ones? Hmm, that's a great question. I'm not sure, but I bet our friends on Reddit have some insights. You bet they do. One user mentioned that the different environments where chimps and gorillas live, like jungles, are less conducive to fossilization compared to the savannas where early humans lived. Ah, that makes sense. I guess jungles are just too cool for fossils, huh? Seems like it. A biological anthropologist on Reddit also pointed out that hominins start showing up in cave deposits around 3 million years ago, which makes for excellent preservation. Plus, it's easier to get grant money to work in known fossil hotbeds than to explore areas that might have ancestral ape bones. Dang, I knew it was all about the money. But seriously, it's interesting to see how different environments affect fossilization and what we know about our prehistoric relatives. Absolutely. Another user chimed in saying that humans were more diverse, numerous, and spread out, leading to more potential digging sites for fossils. So it's a combination of factors that explain the fossil discrepancy. Well, that's fascinating. I guess it's a reminder that sometimes the most interesting discoveries are hiding in plain sight, or in this case, buried beneath the jungle floor. Definitely. And with that, it's time to wrap up this episode of No Small Boy Stuff. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to keep asking those big questions. Take care, everyone, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey, listeners, just a quick note that No Small Boy Stuff is a podcast completely generated by AI. If you're interested in creating your own podcast, head over to www.nosmallboystuff.io for more information.